0: So that's how I went from 10 to 30 as quickly as I did, as I figured out that piece, how to use other people's money.
1: You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lim. Hey Julie, how's it going? Hey, Annie, doing good? How are you? I'm great. I'm thrilled because tomorrow we are finally getting out of the house. We're gonna go camping. On private land. I never even knew this type of thing existed. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'd love to you guys love to travel, we love to travel mm-hmm. and these past few months, you know, we've talked a lot about how we're just itching to get out yes. but safely. Yeah. Um and so, you know, a lot of the public campgrounds, you know, with the shared bathrooms and such, we were and the close quarters, mm-hmm. we weren't really sure about that. But we found um, this cool service, Hip Camp, uh-huh. and you can look at all these options to camp on private land. Uh-huh. So we are going to be camping this weekend on a horse farm, uh-huh. um, and it, we'll have like a whole acre to ourselves. Uh-huh. Um, I think the whole farm is like, I forget how many hundreds of acres, but, uh-huh. and we'll be down near Sequoia National. Mm -hmm. Sequoia National Forest. I can't remember which one, Mm -hmm. Um, which will actually be open this weekend. So I'm so, so excited.
2: Nice. That's so cool. I've never, in all the camping that I've done, I've never heard of that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Me
1: neither. And I think it's sort of hit or miss. You kind of got to go and check out the reviews. But uh, because, you know, it's private land. So Mm -hmm. it's like Airbnb, right? Some properties will be nicely kept. Have better service and better um better hosts right. uh more responsive hosts versus others um yeah Cool.
2: Yeah. Well, it's super crazy. exciting. Yeah. Have a good time. I'm itching to get out of here. Just itching. Just absolutely yeah. itching well, to leave.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if we've talked about on the show your Sacramento mm-hmm. um, yeah. excursion for the yes. summer.
2: Yeah. So canceled, sadly, so sadly. It was so heartbroken um, because we've gone every summer since I quit my job, um, but had to cancel Hawaii. Uh, and then looked on Airbnb and was committed. It's funny how things like happen when you say, I will find this and I'm not going to stop looking until I find this. And that's <laughs> what I did. And I found this amazing place um, up in Fair Oaks in Sacramento um, that's on two and a half acres and it's a gated lot with you know, a basketball court and a trampoline and lots of concrete space for the kids to ride scooters and bikes and tons of grassy areas so we can even camp there as well. Huge pool, spa, adult trampoline, all that good stuff. Um, there's even a playground, like our own pl- private playground on the, on the grassy yeah. area so that the kids can actually go out there and just be like kids again. I don't know the last time we even went to a a playground, which is so, it just breaks my heart, you know, um, because Mm -hmm. you know, kids need that place to Mm -hmm. go and play. So
1: yeah, we're super excited about that too.
2: So, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! What yeah. a
1: great way to turn turn around a disappointment like not being able to go to Hawaii, and now to find such a cool place! Yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to to see all the photos and hear all about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that brings us to today's guest, yes. someone we know very well—our yeah. very own Whitney Hutton, who is our Director of Investor Relations and Operations at Good Egg Investments, and. Um, I am so glad that we had a chance to really dig into her story because I think so many of our Good Egg Investments um, followers really just, they know her as a member of our team and, you know, they reach out to her if they have questions Mm -hmm. and she leads some of our webinars and things, but they don't know the full breadth of her story. Mm -hmm. And Whitney is really, she's I mean she's a Jill of all trades she's yeah. done so much Yeah, she's done flips live in flips she's done um burr properties she's done passive investing and I, man she's got so much knowledge mm-hmm. yeah and I just love how uh, her approach is was
2: very similar to to mine in that she, you know, earlier on, um, so she did a couple of properties earlier on, and then she took a little bit of a hiatus from investing in real estate to really focus on saving. And, um, you know, I I that story resonates so much with me because when I was in my twenties, I lived a life of just spending recklessly, uh, maxing out credit cards, and you know, driving fancy cars, and I didn't know anything about all of this this stuff and this world that we live in. And um, then I spent a good part of my 30s Saving and hunkering down and saving to be able to get to, to where we are now. And, um, you know, so it's this idea of like coupling the savings with like, how do I, you know, create these passive income streams and multiple ones at that as well? And we talk about that a little bit, um, towards the end of the show, uh, you know, just the importance through everything that we're going through now of having these multiple income streams through, you know, syndications and, um, you know, her single family homes and she does note investing and, um, you know, working with us and then you know husband w2 and she just got all these little paths um, so that when something like this hits she's you know fine they're okay you know because they have all these little income streams so important for people to keep in mind um, if you haven't done that already make sure that now you think about it you know about it after everything we're going through now prepare yourself for the next time this happens, because it will happen, maybe not to this magnitude, um, but recessions come, uh, you know, every every now and again. So if you're set up uh, right, then, uh, you know, you'll be well prepared to weather the storms.
1: Well said. And there's so many great nuggets in here, including, for all the parents who are listening, some tips on how to... Um, Leverage your kids, is that the right way to put it? Tax <laughs> gain? Yeah. They, they, yeah uh, anyway, they're I, great strategies for teaching your kids yes. about literacy and bringing them into your business.
2: And and setting them up for success later on in life. I wish, you know I wish I had done that um, you know, when I was eight years old and learned about, you know, assets and liabilities and started a retirement account when I was eight. Who knows where I would be now? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I, I told her, you know, that's going to be a whole nother episode that I'd love for us to deep dive on, um, because there's so much, um, value in that for, uh, you know, bringing our kids into real estate and, uh, and also, like you said, leveraging them, uh, in, in our, in our businesses.
1: So, yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, here is our conversation with Whitney Hutton. Hey, Whitney. Welcome to the show. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me
1: on. Absolutely. Now, Whitney, most of our Good Egg Investor Club members know you as our Director of Investor Relations and Operations. But a lot of them might not know your full story or what you're doing with your own business and your coaching and all of that stuff. But we know, Julie and I know, that you've done so many different things and have so much wisdom when it comes to real estate investing and personal finance, which is why you're such an asset to the Good Egg team and why we wanted to have you here today. So let's start by digging into your story. Take us back to when you first started investing in real estate. What led you to get into real estate in the first place?
0: It was a total accident. Uh, so it's 2002, wild, wild west of lending. Um, I had a friend of mine mention, "Hey, you can buy a house. Like you're a single person, you have a single income." And I'm like, "No way!" Like Fort Collins, Colorado, $200,000-ish house. I'm like, "No way. There's no way I can do this." Um, found a lender, Wells Fargo, <laughs> and uh, the guy was like, "Yeah, you can take out like a you know uh, I qualify for FHA." Uh, so ninety five percent first, and I, essentially it was one hundred and three percent financed on the deal. I had to borrow the down payment from my grandfather. <laughs> so, um, and I was—he was like, "Do you need seven thousand dollars for what?" And I told him what I was going to do. Um, bought the house, closed, wrote a seven thousand dollars check plus interest, one month interest back to my grandfather, and here I was, had a house. Um, I had actually bought it with a significant other at the time and that relationship quickly fell apart. And here I was, had to own the whole house, including the mortgage payment, which is a little scary. Mm -hmm. I had not anticipated that. So, uh, what did I do? You know, young, single person, I stuffed it full of roommates. Then I went, wait a second, I need to rehab this house. That was one thing we were going to do. Uh, so, uh, you know, opened up a line of credit at Home Depot, started rehabbing the house. My roommates did not care that they lived in the construction zone. I had no idea what I was charging them for rent. It was, <laughs> I, evidently it was a smashing deal. And um, fast forward 11 months later, I had, um, I had forced the value on the home $52,000. I hadn't been paying for a housing bill or a mortgage bill on my own at all. And so I'd been, actually been pocketing money and I sold the house. Now hindsight, I wish I hadn't done that, you know, especially what my husband and I were doing today with our investing, but. At that point in time, you know, I was a 24 year old with like 52 grand in a pocket. I'm like, how many more deals like this can I do?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. You were <laughs> hooked.
0: I was hooked. I was hooked. I was a total accidental landlord. And like I said, I think there's a term for it now, living, flipping, house hacking. You know, I don't know how you combine the two, but that's essentially how I got started. And, uh, I did, uh, two more deals like that. And, um, the second one did not go nearly as smooth, um, we all have those bumps in the road in real estate. Then um, eventually, met my husband, and uh, in 2006, and that was actually during the deal that was going like sideways. I didn't lose on it, um, but it, you know, it was a little scary. A bus fell on the roof of the property. I thought I was going to get sued. I don't no! Um, yeah. Anyways, my husband. Was- so what are you going to do once you get out from underneath this house? I'm like, uh, go buy more real estate. <laughs> so, I love that. He was just like, how about you pause?
2: I feel like, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> like, I gotta
0: it out. I've made all the mistakes. Yeah. So I thought um, mm-hmm. it, took a, it took about a year and a half to convince him. And then we, we went in on our uh, condo deal. And, um, you know, started the process all over again, but we quickly realized we just got ourselves another job with the flipping and, uh, it wasn't getting us where we wanted to get to as far as like actually having passive income. And we didn't even know what that term was. We didn't even know what we wanted Mm -hmm. to articulate it to ourselves. We just knew that doing all that flipping and moving, flipping and moving just wasn't it. Mm -hmm. And then the market took off on us and, uh, we were, we were boxed out for a few years. Yeah. And so we just focused on saving as much as we could. Um, one of the smart things, I did consider it smart, um, when my husband and I got married, I actually asked him, you know, to be debt-free before we got married. Mm-hmm. I had gone through yeah, that I whole process that. myself. Mm-hmm. Now, we had our condo together, so we didn't count the mortgage part, but, you know, consumer debt-free. Mm-hmm. Um, he also asked me to finish my PhD before we got married, that
1: didn't happen, <laughs> but anyways, it, it was a, it was, a, I cried. Let me ask you. I had a proposal with some conditionals.
2: I'm curious, what year was that when you guys were having to, you know, just hunker down and save, or what time years, I guess.
0: Yeah. So we got married in 2009 mm-hmm. and then we actually, uh, and we had our, before we got married, we had done a live in flip and then mm-hmm. we got into another live in flip, which actually I'm still standing in, mm. uh, the market took off on us. And when we went to look for our next deal, mm-hmm. it, the numbers just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And that's when we kind of realized that we weren't actually achieving what we set out to achieve, which was create the passive streams of in- income. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I focused on finishing up school. We started a family. So that's between 2010 and 2016. When we hit 2016, we really just, you know, realized, you know, we had a little child at home. Um, My husband's benefit, he works for the government. His benefits package is kind of at the political whims. It doesn't matter who's in office. There's just a lot of pressure there Mm -hmm. to maintain those benefits packages. And I actually was in a job that I knew had an expiration date. We had hired a CEO who was either going to sell the company or gut the company in order to get the investors' money out. We didn't know which way that was going to go. And um, while I was, you know, accustomed to hard work, I just knew that we needed to figure out a different way. And that whole time, we didn't we didn't, it's not like we stopped and didn't do anything. We just, we really focused in on saving Mm -hmm. as much as we possibly could. Um, stuffing as much money as we possibly could into our our IRAs, uh, you know, creating a kind of frugal lifestyle around the house,
1: really creating a value based, uh, budgeting plan around here. I want to go back for a second to something you said earlier, which was, you know, you're 24 years old, you've got this, you you borrowed money from your grandfather for this first house. You probably didn't know too much of what you were getting yourself into. You got these roommates and at and then you realized that you needed to do these renovations. So at that point when you were like, I need to do these renovations, did you have any experience? Were you pretty handy or were you like Googling everything and trying to figure things out one, one thing at a time?
0: Ooh. Uh, so my significant other at the time was, you know, recognized there was some repairs that need to be done uh, to the property. He was going to be in charge of that piece. Um, when, you know, everything fell apart, you know, I had to figure everything out on my own. Uh, I got my, I, I did a lot of wheeling and dealing. I'm you know, making connections and, you know, uh, asking for help is something that I feel like I've always been pretty good at. And I actually traded, uh, refinishing my 1,500 square foot of wood flooring for sushi. Mm.
1: <sighs> what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've never had a deal nearly
0: as good at that
1: <laughs> yeah. ever again. I mean,
0: that was the best $100 of sushi I ever bought this person. But. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it, it, there was a lot of trades um, either with my, my friends, and we got a lot of things done that way. There was a, a lot of um, the Home Depot, Home 123 book. I still have that mm-hmm. in my Bible. It's earmarked. <laughs> YouTube just wasn't a thing at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Like You couldn't go in and YouTube. Mm-hmm. There's a few things that I knew better than to... Well, actually, I didn't know better not to charge. I tried to do my own plumbing, ended up calling a plumber. That was an instance of <laughs> I'm like, wait, it doesn't go back nearly as easily as you took it apart. Um, so <laughs> there was a few things. I have some rules now. Like I don't do drywall, I don't do plumbing, but everything else. I uh, And i rather not do electrical. Um, you know, I can rewire, you know, a plug or a light fixture, mm-hmm. you know, a light switch. But af- everything after that, like we hire out.
1: Yeah, I assume that that must have been such valuable experience for you so early on to have that and to have that inform your real estate investing journey moving forward. But would you say that for people who are starting out, um, do you think that that's a a valuable thing for them to have that they should look to get that renovation experience under their belt? Or do you think it's, you know, it's um, case by case?
0: I look at I frame it this way. We are all so busy, and most of the people that I work with actually have small families at home. Uh, I don't feel that that's a good use of time. Uh, at the end of the day, when you pencil out all the numbers, if that's how you have to start with sweat equity, there are certain things you can do that will push your value on a property, painting, maybe some flooring. Uh, but the larger items, somebody else is always going to be able to do it quicker. And while it may not seem cheaper by the time you account your time and all the mistakes that you might make and the need to correct those mistakes later on, it's actually cheaper to hire those things out. Um, And then again, you know, just, you know, wrapping this all back together, it really is how you value your time. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing that I immensely love about real estate is that it's a time leveraged business. Anybody can get into this. However, um, you know, not everybody um, has the business sense to understand the value of their time, and, and you know, scale. You know, use that time more wisely to actually create a vision around how they want their portfolio and their life to look like, and then scale accordingly.
2: So, I'm curious that in. From 2010 to 2016, that was a long, long hiatus from investing in real estate. So how did you, did you read some books or how did you know that like saving money was the thing to do instead of going out there and spending your money and living life, right? I mean, like you had a new baby, you're starting your family, like why not go on trips and travel? Like where, how did, how did you know that saving was like the first step really to to the end that you were trying to get to?
0: We did travel. Um, mm-hmm. And again, we created this value based plan, we, we sat down and we thought about the experiences that we wanted to have, mm-hmm. how we wanted to grow together as a couple and as a family, mm-hmm. and then how we wanted to contribute back. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point in time, my husband and I were playing ultimate Frisbee very competitively. So we were probably practicing 15 to 20 hours a week, some during some months of the year, we were traveling extensively um, uh, within the country overseas. So we had, we were, we were, um, allocating our funds for that. So we were f- super busy. Wait, Hold on. Hold on. I have to ask <laughs> this question. Wait, hold on. I got
2: to ask this question. What is competitive Frisbee? What does that mean? Exactly. Like how far somebody far. can throw it or like yeah. the technique yeah. and the toss or like, what does that mean?
1: Exactly. <laughs> Ultimate Frisbee. I think Annie knows what I'm talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> I played it exactly once, and I was horrible at it. But I'll let you explain it. So it uh, think of a football field. Okay. okay so um,
0: I might, you know, butcher the parameters. So 120 yards long, and end zone to end zone, okay. the, end, the back of the end zones. And then not quite 70 yards wide. So it's not as wide as the soccer field. So you score like football where you have to pass it into the end zone. Uh, but it, it, the movement's like soccer, so you're running and cutting and passing a frisbee and you have a time limit on which to pass it. Oh, okay. And then, it's technically a non-contact sport. Uh huh. Yeah. But when you take an ex-soccer player and you throw them into the, onto a frisbee's field, that takes a long time to beat the contact out of them. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, that was a, it was a huge adjustment for me. Um. but anyways, yeah, so that's, uh, it's, um, it's becoming a, a large sport now, but at the that's time, funny. you know, kind of you know, pretty low key yeah. under the radar. But, yeah.
2: Yeah. That's so funny. I don't even own a Frisbee. I think maybe I've tossed one around once in my life when I was in Hawaii on the beach somewhere. Um, but and I'm no good at it. I'll like throw it in. It goes, <laughs> I don't know where. So yeah. So that's, we should, we should get together and throw Frisbees one of these <laughs> days, days and see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, um, there's a specific discs that you use and then specific throws that you have to make.
2: Oh, okay. In the co- like when you're competing, it's not just yeah. like a plastic thing that you get from the bank or something like that. Nope. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I'll send you a video. <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. Cool. Yeah. all right Cool. So 2016 is is when you guys started buying again.
0: Yes. And how many
2: properties did you have at that point in 2016? Did you still have? We just
0: had our primary house at that point in time. Wow. So, I mean, there, okay. was, there were several things that had happened um, that are, you know, kind of, uh, you know, changing inflection points for us. Um, you know, one, my husband had gone through a long furlough, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the government. Uh, we had gone through a couple other smaller ones during that time period, but I mean, mm-hmm. this one was, I think, at that point in time, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Little did we know that was not going to be the shortest furlough we would ever experienced. We had our baby at home. We had had a massive flood here in Boulder, Colorado, and had damage to our property that we had to fix. I was now the guardian of my grandparents. So that was a, you know, you asked what I was doing between 2010 and 2016, you know, dealing with a lot of family Hmm. life. And then, you know, again, you know, I had been working very diligently to scale up in my current position Hmm. uh, working for, um, a, a pharmacy chain mm-hmm. and only to know ha- that's where the passive income, the light came on for us. We mm-hmm. were like, okay, we know how to save. We know how to create value and create buckets of money. But this concept that you have multiple streams of money to kind of catch you as a backup, as a foundation and actually help you grow your wealth. That was an entirely new concept for us.
1: Wait, you so- so never, they never taught you that when you were getting no. your PhD? <laughs>
0: No, fancy that, and my parents didn't teach me that. Yeah, I mean, uh, my my in-laws are in the other room. Amazing, amazing people, and that's just something that we just we weren't taught. That knowledge right. just wasn't you know passed down. Yeah, um, you know it's you you go you go to school, you get a good job, you get married, you get buy a house. We did a lot of those things out of order, but you know we did check all those boxes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, then, you know when you're sitting there looking. And and you're told that your job's going to expire, you know, in six to 10 months. That's kind of heartbreaking. You got to figure it out. So that's really where we kind of had to take the bull by the horns and figure it out for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did you
1: know at that point, I mean, you knew that you wanted passive income. How did you know that real estate was um, the right answer for you? I had tried to start a couple. Actually, I had had started a couple of
0: um, health and wellness practices. You know, in nutrition, um, that was what I got my PhD in. And, um, you know, I was also a physical trainer. I was also doing a lot of kind of gig work on the side. Uh, those weren't really panning out to be what I want them, wanted them to be. And, um, you know, when we, we, my husband and I sat down, we were like, what are we going to do? How are we going to figure, figure this out? What is something that we can go into business together? Mm -hmm. You know, here's me. I kind of go, there's real
1: estate. Mm Yeah, it's good. Those are early um, plumbing issues. Didn't scare you away. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I'm like, I, I, I,
0: now if I have a plumbing issue, I don't even deal, deal with it. Call the plumber. I got the plumber. Yeah. In style.
1: So I know how to fix that now. <laughs> but then even at that point, right in 2016, so you had done a few, um, live in flips, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like, did you get passive income from those flips or was it like you lived in it and then you just, you sold it? The ones that we actually um, brought a roommate into, which um, I did
0: with all mine when I was a single, you know, investing as a single person, when my husband and I together, we only had one where we brought in a roommate. Mm-hmm. So we were earning passive income at that point in time. But uh, no, living flipping is literally flipping. It's just
1: that you're in the house while you're doing it. So living in a construction zone. So you had sort of dipped your toes in. You sort of knew that this model could work with mm-hmm. roommates or with house hacking. So then in 2016, you decided to buy. And then what what did you try to buy? What were you looking for?
0: Well, so we were in the Colorado market. We were, you know, our friends that invested in the area. Again, you don't know what you don't know. We decided, okay, here are some people who are very successful with their portfolio. We're going to try to copy them. We didn't understand cash flow at that point in time. So uh, we actually were very proud of ourselves. We put our first, by the time we decided to pull the trigger on buying an investment property, we put the property under contract on Christmas Eve, a month later, less than a month later, and we closed on it. And it was an amazing deal. As soon as we closed on the property, I, that's when the light bulb came on. I'm like, wait a second. I, I, how many more of these do we have to buy in order to cover my income? Mm-hmm. Right? So we that's when I really started learning about the appreciation market. I hadn't stumbled across bigger pockets by that point in time. And once I did that following February, I'm like, oh, appreciation market, cash flow market, linear market. Here are these people that are investing in Kansas City, Indianapolis, Dallas, Texas. And it just blew my mind, like the type of cash flow that they were getting. And that's where we actually stopped trying to find our second and third property here in Colorado and transition our, take that bucket of money, once I did the math, and invest in other more linear markets where, you know, growth markets, the jobs are coming in, the markets are stable, uh, there's, you know, the vacancy is low, the crime is low, you know incomes are rising the homes are affordable the rents are affordable it just blew my mind that this could actually exist anywhere else outside of our backyard
2: so tell us so tell us how you got from because this is something I want to know because I my my max that I've done I mean I think I've bought like five properties in my whole real estate investing career um and so tell us how you got from like this one primary in 2016. And over the last three four years, right? You went from thirty single family homes at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, how does one get? I always ask this question. I think we had Michael Zuber on on our first episode, and it he's he has like something crazy, like two hundred uh, properties, something like that, mix of multifamily. But it always baffles my mind because just the thought of of going beyond a handful to more than ten really is like it just seems like it would be so much work, which is why. I'm heavy, you know, into syndications and why I love just the passivity of all of that and not having to really think about it. And every month I just get a bunch of money <laughs> and I don't really need to do anything. Um, so how did you go from, and then how did you know? So how did you go from one to many? And then how did you know when to stop and what was right for you? Or what was comfortable for you?
0: Yes. Yeah, all great questions. So, uh, you know, again, we were transitioning, you know, that inflection point that we realized, oh, we still don't know the whole entire game. There are, you can invest for cash flow. Like, you can make more. You can take this spot of money and you can make more. Okay, great. So we started investing out of market. Mm-hmm. We scaled up to 10 turnkey properties. So we bought actually a few turnkey and then we did some off the MLS and placed them with the property manager. I was excited by that for two reasons. One, the cash flow that we created. And the second reason is that I'm no longer managing anymore. Somebody else is. I get to manage the manager. Mm -hmm. That is, that was a skill that I had and I love stepping into that role. But getting a call at 8am on a Saturday when you're with your family in in the children's museum saying my toilet's broken. No, no, they, no, that was not for me.
1: That <laughs> wasn't your dream come true?
0: No, it was not. My, it was the, you know, I can't tell you every time we went out of town with a house and then the renters were fantastic. I couldn't have asked for better renters, but every time we left town in that 11 months we owned that particular house, something broke. We got a call. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm done. I,
2: I still have my one property, not still have it, but I still remember this one property that I had in Indiana. Same thing. I literally owned it maybe for like a year, maybe 13, 14 months. And in that time, every time I would go somewhere, I still remember vividly this one time we were at the zoo in Hawaii and I got this call and my husband asked me, he's like, are you, is everything okay? And I'm like, no, it's that darn property again, you know? (laughs) And this time it was somebody broke in or somebody reported that somebody broke in. And, and then so the property manager was letting me know, Hey, we got this call that they think they saw somebody breaking into the home and we're sending somebody out to check it out, which of course means money because they're having to go out there and find out what's going on. Um, and it was just a nightmare and that's, that's where it ended for me. <laughs> so how did you, how did you get beyond that? Like, how did you, it, so it was the having the, cause I had a property, property manager, but even with that, like, so it was just the comfort of knowing that somebody else was there to, to triage these issues for you was what gave you comfort.
0: Yeah, and the the actual kind of distancing between myself and the tenant, Tenant, I could handle that. That was, you know, where I came from from working operations in a retail chain. I I could handle that. That was, you know, I felt like I was working with a a group of employees, and like, okay, great. Like, here's you need me to make a decision. I made the decision mm-hmm. go implement, and mm-hmm. that's what my my property manager I consider them my day to day operator, and I do to this day. That's how I frame mm-hmm. my thought when I'm mm-hmm. choosing to work with a property manager. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that year, we got to ten properties, and it then became our next lesson. We're like, oh wait, where are we going to get the capital to buy anymore? We need to figure out how to do burr. Like by this time, like everybody's saying burr, 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 burr. So to buy rent, we have. Uh, refinance, repeat type strategy. And
2: this was 2017? This is the end of 2017. End of 2017. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, so, And so you had the... T- so you, in one year, you bought 10 properties? Uh, yes. Wow. 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 That's crazy. That I just seems like much so much like... Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, the loan, like the loans that you have to go through for that. And so, when you bought those ten, did you do them all under one of you,
0: so that you could save
2: the spaces and whatnot, or did you not know about that back
0: then? Or no, we did. You we did? did. Okay. So we aimed to do them. We bought the first one with both of us on it. Uh-huh. So we were like, we need to get rid of this guy. He's gone.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. And but we needed to hold him for a year before we could reposition him. You know, for the capital gains uh, treatment. But then we started buying individually, and my husband, you know, he supported me, and he was like, "You go do you. This is your baby." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Okay, great. I'll take it on." And then um, remember, my job had that expiration date, and that date came. Yeah, and we had two pro- two houses under contract on my under my name, and we were a week away from closing. Oh my gosh! So what'd you do? Yes. Well, I cried. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, nobody likes being laid off, right? You know, yeah. They, they, you know, it doesn't even matter. Like, you know, it's coming. Who cares? I mean, nobody yeah. likes that. Yeah. Uh, so I came home. You know, I was upset, but uh, you know, I understood it was the the business decision that mm-hmm. needed to be made. Yeah. And it's not like I didn't have, you know, ample time to to figure this out. Right. So uh, I called my lender. What can we do? The lender was like, I can't lend to you. Hangs up on me. Oh. I mean, not like mean. He wasn't mean. We mm-hmm. just get off the phone. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? In these houses are going to fall out of contract. And I sat there and my husband had gone to run an errand. He walks in back in the house. We're leaving to go on a camping trip. And he was like, is everything all right? I'm like, no, wait a second, you have a job. <laughs> you have a W-2, get over here.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So finally, remember, we were trying to leave town. I'm like, no, 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 not until all this paperwork's still down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so by the end of that day, we had all him all qualified with the lending. We had moved all the contracts over to him. And so that was the plan all along, it was for him to start mm-hmm. buying under his name. Mm-hmm. But that just, that came a lot quicker. So we shifted our entire system. And that's when I realized that I actually had a a good system in place. It was, it only took us like an hour and a half to move everything over Mm -hmm. to my husband. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, he was off and running, you know, getting in. I think we, it pushed closing by two days. Mm -hmm. It didn't really stall us that much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you normally, somebody's really upset, right. When they get laid off. Yeah. That's when I was like, I get my 401k back. Yeah, yeah,
1: there you go. Yeah. there you go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> which I have been trying to figure out a way for like the past year to mm-hmm. wiggle my 401k out to a self-directed environment, and mm-hmm. that's where, um, you know, here you go. I have my 401k back now. I, I'm no, I'm not giving tax advice, and this is you know, solution this is not for everybody. I had invested very heavily in the Roth side of my 401k. I had lost my job. I had a basis a very large basis. And I was able to pull that out and start investing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: in more properties after that. And so, you know, our problem at that point in time was where do we get the capital to continue to expand our portfolio and start doing brewer investing. And that's what I did. And so you use your self-directed IRA to buy? No. Okay. I pulled the basis. Okay. So what you contribute to your IRA Uh um, on the Roth side is called basis. And you can withdraw that. At any point in time, oh okay, because it was in a four hundred and one k environment, I couldn't get at it. But Uh as soon as I moved it, rolled it from the four hundred and one k over to a self directed provider, Uh I could get at that basis. Uh Uh
2: Mm -hmm. So that doesn't work for typical four hundred one ks only because you had the other
0: piece of it. Is that what it is? Um, Not all four hundred one ks offer a Roth component, right? So um, you can pull, I believe, from a traditional IRA. Uh, but you have to pay a penalty mm-hmm. to do that, and then also the tax bill mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. And usually, all that penalty and tax bill occurs in one year. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, you know we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, and there's the CARES Act that that allows uh, that has it allows for different rulings between now and the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, I you know, if somebody is looking at this type of strategy to get mm-hmm. their investing going, I suggest they partner with their uh, CPA. Mm-hmm. They figure out what. They can do because they might actually have access to two hundred thousand dollars per person mm-hmm. between them and their spouse. So a total of four hundred thousand dollars they can get at between a loan and a withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Potentially, yeah. they need to talk yeah. to a professional right. about that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, speaking of the CPA, um, I, w- I definitely I want to keep going with the burr and hear yeah. how you got from ten to even beyond that, but. I want to pause here for a second because most people will hear that number and be like, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing!" Like ten properties. Like all they think about is the front end of it, right? Is the finding the property, finding the market, finding the properties, getting it under contract closing it and now it's like I check off a box and like I got one, right? Yeah. But then to do it so quickly in a year, to go from one to ten in a year, and I know you are like an expert at systems, which is part of why we love you. Tell us a little bit about what went on behind the scenes after you acquired those properties with like bookkeeping and maintenance and property management and all of all <clears throat> of that stuff to get that up to speed.
0: But I quickly fell in love with my property manager, and I quickly fell out of love with bookkeeping. <laughs> so, um, I, we actually brought in uh, my husband. My daughter's too young I just, at the time. She's getting to the point now where we could hire her into the business, and that is part of our plan: is to bring our child into our business. Mm-hmm. Tons of tax strategies around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also she gets to learn about the business. Like she's actually investing alongside with me in a syndication now. So that's awesome. Um, so we're teaching her early. She's playing the cash flow game. Like, you know, we're, we're trying to instill those skills, you know, put her in a better situation than yes. what we were in. Um, and for the but,
1: listeners, how old
0: is your daughter right now? She's eight. She just turned eight. Yeah. Yeah. We, by the age four, this is the most beautiful thing that I've ever done. And it was not intentional. We started the cash flow for kids game when she was four. And I'm like, if the only thing she learns is asset and liability, I have <laughs> one. I have one. Because cool. when we go into target now, I think she asks me to buy toys all the time. I'll be like, is that an asset or a liability? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously we talk about balance, uh, but yeah, it's, it's saved me a lot of uh, trust to the store. to buy toys. Nice. <laughs> But yeah, so when you're scaling, you know your your system's continuing to break down. Like the first, like you know, that's why so many people, you know, eventually decide that you know when they start out, they're like, I'm going to self manage. I don't need a property manager. I'm going to put that money in my pockets. Just a couple of properties. What can go wrong? You get four, five, and six. That your system's going to break down. You need to bring on that piece. Mm-hmm. You know, or you. Ha- I mean, that's a huge lift for your life potentially. Um, the property manager, I love them because I specifically went in to interview a property manager that could handle the bookkeeping on the property. So that took about 70 to 80% of the load off of me. And, you know, but there was still enough happening behind the scenes, especially when you're doing rehabs, you know, that we, we needed to get outside help. Um, but yeah, just, you know, plug and play, continue to figure out as we scaled, we realized we, we needed a bookkeeping system or we needed a tax strategist. We needed, uh, you know, quarterly legal support to make sure that, you know, we were doing everything above board.
1: And those are the type of things that you have to um, keep your eye on as you scale. And, th- and I think that's so key is that there's so many things you can't predict before you get into it. Uh, but it also doesn't People should know it doesn't stop at that closing table. It's not like you just mm-hmm. you sign on the dotted line and you're good. Like so you got to keep evolving and building your system. So you got those ten, and then what? So you got into bursts. So well, yeah. H- hang
2: doing. on real quick before we move to that. I just want to really quick because I know we don't have a lot of time, but I do want to. And you're not. And I just want to preface: you're not a CPA. You're not giving tax advice. Anything like that. But I know um, I heard on a podcast years ago, three, four years ago now, um, uh, these this, these ideas of how you can incorporate your children into your business and with little, you know, strategies about around that. So can you really quick share, like, why this age, maybe some of the types of things that she's doing and how you plan to bring her in and leverage? Because I know there's some tax benefits in doing that, too.
0: Yeah. So... We can, I, I love kind of geeking out about this sort of stuff, but um, you know, for most people when they start investing, they feel like the only way they can lower their, their income is, and invest is through a 401k. Mm-hmm. There, I have learned, and there's a great um, PDF that you can go on, and, uh, uh, wealthability.com, Tom write, uh, his website, he's one of the rich dad advisors, but he has this PDF that I mean, just that one PDF alone has been worth tens of thousands of dollars to me in tax savings. But there's actually four different steps that you can take to lower your tax bill before you start investing in a 401k. And hiring your family members um, can take advantage of using other people's tax brackets. So that's why we do it. Okay, so there's, also, there's the education piece. That's what we want to do. We want to teach her how to build value. Uh, you know, instill those entrepreneurial mindset skills, that sort of thing. But we're taking the actual piece that we're taking advantage of is moving income, paying her for work, legitimate work, you know, um, you know, up until this year when she started using a computer, it was just filing, cleaning, you know, stuffing envelopes, licking stamps, that sort of thing. You know, you have to, you have to pace it by their age. Uh, modeling. I have my website. My daughter's on the website. She gets paid as a child model for that website. But I can actually pay her for these legitimate work hours. And I'm deferring that money into her tax bracket. So she has, I think, believe $12,100 or $12,200 that I can defer into her tax bracket. Now... Are you giving your child money? No, they're earning it. They're learning the value on how to earn that. And now she can pay for her own expenses out of that, and I actually get a tax savings. And you Mm. can amplify that with all different types of strategies. Now she can, because she's earning money, she can put that money in a Roth account, and that becomes her college fund as opposed to a 529. Wow. Just wow. I mean, you
2: know, this is the kind of stuff that people need to understand and need to learn about, you know, as mothers, as women, it's like, this is what (laughs) I see so often in mother's groups, people talking about, what do I do for college savings? What do I do? What do I do? And this is like so many different angles. It's like working it. It's just amazing. Um, Oh yeah. I
0: can, I can right now we have her set up um, with her own EQRP that had her own self-directed 401k and the EQRP, a qualified retirement plan that has a Roth side to it. So she's taking it. I'm paying her. I get the tax break. And again, not tax advice. Right. You know, this works for my life situation. Right. But then she can now contribute on her end to the EQRP on the Roth side. So if she's putting away money. That's, you know, she's, paid zero tax on. She doesn't have to. She it, fall, it falls below her exemption line. It's going to the Roth side. So now it goes in tax-free, grows tax-free. Mm-hmm. And when she wants to buy a house or invest or pay for college, she can pull that out. Mm-hmm. And we can stuff in a lot of money that way.
2: Who are you working with to, to do all this um, as far as the uh, EQRP? So
0: I, my preferred provider is Damian Lupo, which is okay. a financial company control okay okay love all i this could be a whole nother
2: episode we should do another episode on this because i i you know our daughters are the same age and Mm -hmm. um she does do some work for me so she does some bookkeeping stuff so i gave her all the passwords to log in and make sure money's coming in and she files it away and make sure every month it's the same and all that kind of stuff um but i haven't figured out all of this stuff yet like how do i pay her the you know the roth i just got her a credit card so we could start building her credit um but i you know we could spend a whole I would love to do another episode where we dig in on this and share these types of strategies because I think it's so important. Um, oh, yeah. but, but I know we're on time, and real quick, I want to talk about the Burr strategy, how you got into it, what it is, explain to the audience what it means. Uh, some people listening may not even know what what Burr is, and tell them about how amazing it is.
0: <laughs> so the Burr strategy is okay. I think a lot of people understand turnkey investing, right? They go buy a property and uh, it's completely rehabbed, there's a tenant in it, okay? They're putting a down payment of probably 20%. That is a bur. it's just not your bur. So let's talk about all the steps that have to happen for them. So the wholesaler, this is where I come in. Uh, I'm not the wholesaler, but they buy, the person buys the property low, okay? So let's say in my market, um, I'm just gonna keep numbers, simple. Yeah. So maybe I buy a property for $50,000. So that's the B. Okay. I'm looking for a property that needs some TLC, some love, and I'm buying it for $50,000. I'm actually solving somebody else's problem because they're mm-hmm. probably in some sort of financial or emotional distress mm-hmm. over that property. I Now I go put in the work, a rehab. So for me, I like rehabs between 20 to $30,000 mm-hmm. in there because uh, I can get enough of a value break mm-hmm. on the property, you know, to get it low enough. It, it's more than lipstick on a pig. It's more than just carpet and paint. I actually have to do a roof, maybe, um, you know, replace uh, the HVAC system, water heater, or all of that. Um, maybe even dig up a driveway and fix the driveway issue or some drainage issues on the property. But let's pretend I put in $20,000 of work on the property. So now I'm in for $70,000. I can actually take that property once it's rehabbed. I'll, I'll put a tenant in. Okay. So the property, this particular property that I'm looking at in this market, cash flows for a thousand or I can get a thousand dollar rent a month. I've bought it. I rehabbed it. I have rented it. Now I can take that to a conventional lender or a lender of my choice and they're going to say, okay, now the property is worth, they're going to appraise it. It's a hundred thousand dollars. And they're going to say, we'll give you a loan for $75,000. Remember, I only put in 70. They're going to give me 75. Okay, so now I can wrap in my closing costs and essentially I use the forced value on the property to carry the down payment on that second, that refinanced mortgage. I've gotten all my capital back out, the original 50k cash and the 20% or 20k uh, for construction loan. And now I met the last star where I go repeat the same process over and over and over again. This ca- property now cash flows. I'm probably making two to three hundred dollars a month on this property.
1: With no money in.
0: With no money in. Now, okay, so that's the dream. That's the pipe dream not a pipe dream, but that's the dream that everybody wants when they want to do a bar. They want all their money out. They want this amazing cash flowing property. We've been at the top of the market. at least in the the markets I'm invested in, I mean, it's been pretty toppy. Uh, I I probably get, you know, 80 to 90% of my money back out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I am leaving a little bit in, but even if I have to leave in $10,000 or $5,000, I have a fully rehabbed property. That's cash flowing. I'm a hundred. I control a hundred thousand dollar property for 5k. So that doesn't take me that long to get my money back out through rents. Right. I'm taking all that and I'm doing it again. Now, where uh, you can really supercharge this is if you learn how to use other people's money to get the house and to do the construction on it. Mm-hmm. And so you can accelerate your your business plan. So that's how I went from 10 to 30 as quickly mm-hmm. as I did is I figured out that piece, how to use other people's money mm-hmm. to um, carry the dump or carry the purchase price on the property and the construction loan. Whole,
2: again, whole other episode. <laughs> we this is episode three that we'll have to go to for this one because I, I mean, so many questions that, you know, we could talk about. I mean, I think the, the main takeaway for listeners, um, and for people who are, are, are listening is just that, you know, you can get into real estate, you could do deals, um, you know, without having to, um, you know, use any money of your own. So, um, you know, important thing for, I think, for people to remember as they're thinking about getting into real estate. We'll get back
1: to our conversation with Whitney in just a minute.
2: Have you been thinking about investing in real estate but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country, and then partner with you to acquire these investments, and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals.
1: Back to our chat with Whitney Hutton.
2: All right, you guys ready to move into the investing for good impact round? Yeah, All right, let's do it. All right, so we're gonna ask you three questions around investing for good. So the first question is investing in yourself. So, what is one way that your investments are allowing you to live a better life?
0: Yeah, so for us, um, invest in, investing in real estate has really been centered around how we could create passive income for ourselves, multiple streams of passive income, so we could focus on our family, our friends, and travel, and just do things that were more mission-driven and purposeful, you know, purpose-driven. And, um, you know, the most relevant example of this right now is, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, I've been able to stay at home with our daughter, work from home, uh, continue working on the various businesses. And be there to help her and homeschool her. I love that.
2: I feel like so many of the guests that we have on the show always answer that question and talk about the flexibility that, um, you know, real estate investing allows them um, in their lives. And I know that's so true for me as well. And uh, so powerful and meaningful, especially in everything that we're going through right now. So I love that. Um, Okay, second question is around investing in others, and I know you have a ton of hacks for this answer, and I uh, want you to just pick the best one if possible, but what is one investment strategy or hack that you can share with our audience that will help them catapult their investing journey?
0: Absolutely. So my favorite hack uh, is actually not related to real estate, but how you manage your time. And it's um, because I believe complexity is the killer of momentum. And there's a book called The One Thing by Jay Papazan and Gary Keller. And the centering question in that book is, what is the one thing that you can do that makes everything else easier or unnecessary? And I think if we can just sit with that question and boil it down to the simplest action that we could possibly take in our daily lives and in our businesses, I mean, that right there is was just life changing for us. That That book and being able to answer that question was just life-changing as far as where we're able to take our investing.
2: Yeah, and I feel like it's just, you know, even in my personal life as well as business life, I'm always thinking about that. Like, what is the, and you, you guys both know this, but like, what is the one thing that we can do this week or this month or this year, that's going to have the biggest impact on our business. And I focus my efforts there and I do the same thing in my home. And I'm always thinking about what's the one thing that I can do with my family or, you know, do for them that's going to have the most impact and have the most ROI. So I love that. I have not read that book. So I'll have to add that one. I know it's a popular one. So I'll have to add that one to my uh, growing list of um, books that I'm currently (laughs) reading. Um, Okay, last last question, Um, investing in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place with your investments?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, aside from, you know, uh, donating time, you know, our time to our daughter's school and I coach her soccer team, we also donate very heavily monetarily to the um, RIP Medical, so Rest in Peace Medical, and they are centered around eliminating medical debt for people that are just burdened with it. You know, for me, um, my father exhausted three healthcare policies before he passed away. And that, um, that stress and that bur- monetary burden on my mother, uh, I mean, quite honestly, I feel like she left the world earlier than she really needed to because I think she was scared to death of what that, you know, would hold for her. And she didn't want to be a burden on anybody else. And the thing is, that's not an uncommon story. So that's something that my husband and I are very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, the stress around finances is so huge for so many people. And it's a shame yeah. that stories like that are so prevalent. But it's amazing what you guys are doing. And also not just um, giving with your, your money, but also giving with your time, You know, which is one of the most precious resources. Um, so that's really really amazing well Whitney uh, I know we just skimmed the surface of everything we didn't even get to you know where you are today we'll have to dive in on another episode um, and all the intricacies of the Burr method and also your business with Ash Wealth so tell tell the listeners if they did want to follow up with you and learn more what's the best place that they can go
0: Well, they can catch me in a couple different places and they can catch me right here at Good Egg Investments. So, uh, you know, feel free to email me here, Whitney at Good Egg Investments. Uh, if you're more interested in the single family investing piece, then you can also catch me at ashwealthco at gmail.com.
1: Perfect. Well, everyone should definitely check out Ash Wealth. Whitney Hutton, founder of Ash Wealth and director of investor relations and operations at Good Egg Investments. Whitney, thank you so much for being here with us today. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast, and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.